Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Lock Talk Radio. up on you all right so the world is still collapsing and i am still here to break it down for you we have uh, a bailout package which has officially passed the senate we do not know uh, if it will pass the house although in all likelihood it looks like it will um yeah we uh we're in trouble (laughs) we're in trouble Bernie was able to slip in some positive provisions into this uh, bailout, but make no mistake about it, this thing is, uh, it's not good. There's no strings attached, and you have um, Wall Street, yet again, making out like bandits. That's exactly what they're doing. So, we got a lot to talk about. We got a lot to talk about. Um, and the coronavirus cases, of course, still keep skyrocketing, and they will not level off for quite a while. So, really just bad news all around. I wish I had some good news for you guys, but I really don't. So, without further ado, let's get started. We'll jump right into it. I'll give you the details of the bailout package. Uh, Here we go. 
So we have the final version of the Corona stimulus bill or bailout bill, whatever you want to call it. Um, and it is very, very bad. So here's Zach Carter reporting on it. He says, final text of the bill has not been released. That's not true. Since he said that, it has been released. Um, but according to a legislative draft, the new law would establish a $4.5 trillion corporate bailout fund overseen by Treasury Secretary Steve Mnuchin with few substantive constraints. Some outlets are reporting it as a $500 billion fund, but $425 billion of that can be leveraged 10 times over by the Federal Reserve, resulting in a multi-trillion dollar program. That's a very important fact that not many people are discussing, by the way. They are referring to it as a $500 billion bailout, not a $4.5 trillion one. The bill permits bailed-out companies to lay off up to 10% of their workforce over the next six months with no restrictions thereafter. So after six months, you know, you could fire as many people as you want, and that is going to lead to an absolute crisis. Mnuchin would have authority to waive any upside for the public in its new investments and the bill's restrictions on stock buybacks at bailed-out firms uh, are too temporary to be significant. Bailed-out companies could even pay dividends to their shareholders. Here we go again. Here we go again. Bailout money will flow to the shareholders of large corporations, otherwise known as rich people. The oversight terms the Democrats secured are purely cosmetic, replicating the toothless provisions of the 2008 bank bailout that enabled watchdogs to report abuse but not actually prevent it or rectify it. If you give vast amounts of public money to a single person with no real accountability, you won't like what happens next, Damon Silvers, the deputy chair of the oversight panel for the bank bailout, wrote on Tuesday. We're watching history repeat itself. This is very clearly not an FDR-like response. This is, okay, let's let the crooks who run Wall Street continue to run the government and basically bail out big financial institutions on their own terms. Everything that's supposed to be a regulatory uh, you know, burden on them is toothless. So expect a lot of, in the near future, expect a lot of sham hearings, for example, where they bring in the head of a corporation and they berate them and they say, no, sir, I am wagging my finger at you. And then they go right back to doing the same kind of terrible practices that they were doing all along. So I have more for you. The latest version of the Senate bill offers its full cash benefits, $1,200 per adult tax filer, $500 per child, to even the poorest Americans correcting a big problem with the first GOP draft of the bill that left out low-income people entirely. But you need to have filed taxes for 2018 or 2019 to get the benefit, which leaves out millions of Americans who do not typically need to file. Non-filers typically either rely on mostly non-taxable income, like Social Security, retirement or disability benefits, or retirement income from a Roth account, or do not have enough money to owe taxes. Either way, they tend to be among the most economically vulnerable people in the country. So that alone excludes up to 30 million people. 
30 million people. Giant, giant, giant loophole to screw regular people. But the final nail in the coffin, because I'm not done yet, if you don't already have direct deposit information on file with the IRS from previous tax returns, you won't get the emergency funds for up to four months, Democratic aid said. That includes vulnerable people who don't have bank accounts. Some of the most vulnerable people are left out of this. Other people who simply don't have direct deposit information on file with the IRS are left out of this for up to four months. So what you're talking about here is we'd be lucky if we even get the money to 50% of people who need the money. So you see the way this works? Whenever it's something for you, have a thousand and one loopholes in there that make sure to put as many hurdles for you to jump through as humanly possible and make it difficult for regular people to get the funds that they need in this time of crisis. But the bailout for corporate America, oh my God, all the original strings that were attached, get rid of them on the low. I hope nobody's paying attention. Gone. It'll just be, you know, little slaps on the wrist here and there and nothing but optics. Oh, we're going to say that we're looking after you very strongly and we're going to, you know, wag our finger at you. But substantively, there's nothing preventing them from basically abusing the bailout and to give discretion to Steve Mnuchin to determine a lot of the terms of the various bailouts, that is, that's criminal. He's a, he's a Goldman Sachs guy. We know how corrupt he is. We know the terrible decisions that he's made. And you're going to leave it on this guy to determine, you know, who gets to loot the treasury? And here we have it. These are the terms. Now, um, the provision that is good that's good. Let me show you this tweet because this lays it out um, pretty well here. So a respectable lawyer pointed this out. He did it. Bernie just saved millions of people. And then you see an unemployment provision added to the Senate bill by Vermont Senator Bernard Sanders would see laid-off workers receive 100% of their salary up to $75,000 a year with tipped and gig economy workers covered. Bernie Sanders is a hero. Um, fucking crying. Thank you, Bernie. And then you see Jeffrey Stein. New Senator Bernie Sanders announces he will place hold over coronavirus bill and demand new restrictions to $500 billion fund for corporations unless three Republican senators drop their objections to unemployment insurance expansions. Bernie fucking flaming everyone on the Senate floor just now and then breaking U.S. Senate passes $2 trillion coronavirus economic stimulus bill. 96 to 0 goes to House now. So in other words, um, what they're describing is that provision from Bernie, which is a wonderful provision. Uh, it expands unemployment insurance to cover 100% of your salary up to $75,000 a year. And it includes tipped workers and gig economy workers who would normally be left out and, and wouldn't you know, be able to get the unemployment. So Bernie did a, a strong expansion of unemployment insurance and came through on that front and did not back down and it, ended up in the final bill. That's an unbelievably positive thing, and we just learned today that the number of filings is about 3.3 million. So unemployment, people who need unemployment, 
absolutely skyrocketed. In fact, here, I could show you a chart on that one. Um, I mean, that, that line is preposterous. That line shows that it just spikes straight up. So this is what we're talking about here. We're talking about, honestly, a crisis that's unprecedented since the Great Depression. I do think that this will surpass the Great Recession pretty easily. But overall, I have to say, guys, nobody should have voted for this bill. This bill was 96 to 0. You can't vote for this bill. You can't do it. You want to know why? Because it further puts in stone and ossifies our current system of rank corporatism. We live in a corporatocracy. That's what we live in. And we're watching it unfold right in front of our faces. As other countries, and we'll get to the details of it, but as other countries are saying, okay, you know, we're going to pay $2,000 a month for the duration of the crisis to every person. As other countries are saying that, we're like, how can we wiggle out of giving people the help that they need? How can we make them jump through hoops? But at the same time, how can we set up a giant slush fund for all of corporate America? So understand, guys, this isn't even capitalism. Because under capitalism, oh, if, if you go belly up as a company, you go belly up. That's the end of it. Go find a new line of work. Go try to open up a new business. There's, you're done. You, know, you failed. You went bankrupt. It's over. But under this system, what they're doing is setting in stone the companies that are already on the top. So all of the companies, the government rushes in, bails them out with few strings attached or no strings attached, and then it's, it's a moral hazard because they can never go bankrupt, they can never go belly up, so you're not incentivizing them to do proper business practices. They know, hey, when times are good, privatize the profits. When times are bad, socialize the losses. So if you're, an, if you're a CEO of one of these companies, if you're an owner of the companies, if you're one of the wealthy shareholders of the companies, you never lose. Under no circumstance do you ever lose. So your decisions are irrelevant. Your decisions don't matter. You don't have to pay your workers well. You don't have to have you know, an emergency fund for a rainy day. You don't have to stop doing stock buybacks, which artificially inflate the price of, of these companies. A lot of these companies, got, they got a giant tax cut in 2017. They, they did stock buybacks to the tune of tens of billions of dollars, and then they go run into the government hat in hand when the economy grinds to a halt because of um, the pandemic. Well, you know, maybe you should have taken some of that money and put it in, a, in an emergency fund for a situation like this. Why do the taxpayers always have to rush in to bail out the corporations when they make bad decisions? By the way, we're going to bail them out, and then what? We bail them out, and then they're going to come back to the government a year or two from now and say, I need another bailout. Why? Because even though you're bailing them out, the economy's still grinding to a halt. Nobody's going to you know, be out there in the world right now. Everybody's hunkered down because you need to so you don't die and so you don't get the virus. So the only, the only response that would have made sense, in my opinion, was temporary nationalization. Because we, the people could be the owner of last resort, and then we could pass it back off to private hands when the time is right. Not only do we not do temporary nationalization, which some other countries are doing in certain industries, by the way, 
Not only did we not do that, the second best thing would have been, okay, you know what, we'll bail you out, but here are very, very strict rules that you cannot violate. Rules including, you know, bonus, uh, not bonus money, executive compensation cannot be over a certain level. You cannot pay bonuses to any of your executives when the company is in dire financial straits as they are right now, like the companies did in 2008. That's out the window. No more stock buybacks. That's out the window. New rules on having to set up an emergency fund. Rules on not firing 100% of your workforce. You could have, if you were going to bail them out, you should have had super strict rules and regulations associated with it so that we make sure that these problems don't arise again in the future. They didn't do that. Elizabeth Warren released eight terms for her to support a bailout, and then they adopted none of those terms, and she still supported the bill. This bill is going to age, I think, almost exactly like the original Wall Street bailout aged, and I think like the Patriot Act aged. In other words, at the time, oh, my God, we have to do it, we have to do it, we have to do it, everybody rushed to do it. And then later on, everybody looks back at it and says, oh, my God, what have you done? You've cemented corporate socialism, a.k.a. corporatism. You've cemented that as the dominant ideology and acting philosophy of our government. Now, I get it. You had to do something for the workers. But if I was Nancy Pelosi, if I was Chuck Schumer, if I was any and all the Democrats, honestly, what I would have done is I would have demanded screaming from the top of my lungs, we need a clean vote on a bailout of the people. We'll get to the bailout of the financial institutions later. We'll work out the terms of that later. But right now, people need this support. People need the unemployment provision, which did end up getting into the final bill. People need, forget the one-time $1,200 payment. No, you need UBI, at least for the duration of the crisis, at least three or four months. And then you could argue over the amount. But I would scream from the top of my lungs, we need a clean bailout of the people. I would have done my best to whip the votes to get every single Democrat on board for this, where we say, we're ready to act right now to fight this crisis. But it starts with the bailout of the people. So I don't want to see any provisions on any corporate bailouts mixed in the same bill. Let's first do a bailout of the people. Let's first expand the unemployment insurance and, and do a UBI for the duration of this crisis. Let's first and foremost do that because people can't pay the bills on April 1st. Let's get it out there and get it out there now, and I don't want to see any loopholes. I like the Rashida Tlaib and Bernie Sanders idea of pre prepaid debit cards to basically everybody in the country. And then you tax it back later. So if somebody you know, makes over a certain threshold, you could tax it back at the end of the year. But the benefit of doing it that way is you get all the stuff out ASAP. So I would have demanded we need to do a clean vote on a bailout of the people. And unfortunately, that was not the strategy from the Democrats. And you know, I think that a lot of them felt like this was absolutely necessary and we have no choice. And you know, they're holding the people hostage. So we got to but see, that's the thing. Politically, you should have pointed that out, and you should have pinned it to them. Hey, all the Republicans are holding the people hostage. You're holding the people hostage. 
So we're going to point that out, and we're going to clobber you over the head with it, and we're going to shame you for it, and we're going to embarrass you for it, and everybody's going to know about that. And you weaponize that politically to say, hey, it's not us, man. We're ready to pass this bail out of the people right now, and the Republicans are blocking it. But no, they held the people hostage and said, you're going to do basically a multi-trillion dollar bailout of corporations that have terrible terms associated with it. And so everybody ended up falling in line. Uh, If I was in the Senate, I would have voted no on it. I would have, because the lack of rules associated with the bailout, the terms of it, so much discretion to the Treasury Secretary, you literally just gave Donald Trump and his merry band of corporate goons and thugs, you gave them basically unlimited powers to give money to whichever corporate friends they want to. I got a bridge to sell you if you really think it's going to go to the companies it needs to go to and it's going to help the people it needs to help. No. This was a corporate heist. This was a, this was a scam. This was a sham. And we're all going to be worse off as a result of it. No matter what happens, the 1% doesn't lose. And there's another example of it right here. Okay. Okay, bitch. Now we're going to talk about what Canada is doing because um, it is... It is very interesting. So let's talk about how Canada is handling this global health crisis. Um, Their response is a little different from ours, to say the least. Prime Minister Justin Trudeau announced new financial measures to help Canadians affected by the coronavirus pandemic, the Canada Emergency Response Benefit, uh, or CERB, I guess CERB as it's called, provides $2,000 a month for up to four months for workers who's, who lose their income as a result of, COVID, of the COVID-19 pandemic. That includes people who've lost their jobs, are quarantined, caring for someone with COVID-19, and for parents who have to stay home uh, to take care of their kids. The new system replaces the emergency care benefit and the emergency support benefit to streamline benefits for those who's, uh, who qualify for unemployment insurance and those who don't. The Prime Minister says nearly a million people applied for EI last week, and the system wasn't designed to handle such a heavy load. The Prime Minister says he understands people are concerned about delays. a month for the duration of the crisis, about four months. The U.S. did a one-time payment of $1,200 per adult and I think $600 per kid. Shows a little bit of the difference in philosophy between the countries. And also, needless to say, the U.S. did a massive bailout with few strings attached of corporate America at the same time. Shows a little bit of a difference in the approach. Because what you're seeing, and this crisis was tailor-made for the U.S. to respond terribly to it. Because 
what's needed to deal with this is a highly organized, centralized national healthcare system and a social welfare system. The U.S. Is, has among the worst healthcare systems in the developed world, and we have among the me- most meager social safety net. So basically, the two things that we need to come out of this the best, we don't have. And so that's why you see more crumbs for the people, giant bailouts for uh, the corporations, and a healthcare system which, under minimal pressure, is imploding. And I do mean that. We have a shortage of supplies. Trump's now bragging as if, you know, we're getting the supplies to where they need to go. No, you're not. No, you're not. I know. I see, I see what's happening in New York. Did you know in some, of the, in some of the richest hospitals in the country, in New York, some of the nurses are wearing garbage bags? I'll get to that story later. Lack of ventilators, lack of masks, lack of certain drugs, and in some of the most wealthy hospitals in the country, they're wearing garbage bags as, as protective gear because they don't have the other proper protective gear. So now that's not to say that this kind of a crisis won't overburden other healthcare systems as well, because it will. But we are still uniquely not prepared for such a situation. Uniquely not prepared. And on top of the fact we haven't ordered the shutdown orders nearly as early as we should have. You know, in New York, everything should have been shut down on March 1st. And then they dragged the feet, dragged the feet, dragged the feet. And, you know, it was like two weeks later that they ordered that. And it was just a semi-lockdown. So everything's going to be overburdened. And we're currently witnessing that. So how do you defeat such a crisis? How do you defeat it? Well, number one, preparedness. You need preparedness. And you need a functioning social welfare system. The preparedness you need is the lockdowns early. You need enough ventilators, enough masks, enough medicine, enough doctors, enough ICU beds. You need all that stuff, but you also need the ability to do something like Canada is doing right now, which is, okay, we're going to effectively press pause on the economy, and we're going to give everybody $2,000 a month for the duration of this crisis, and um, they will weather the storm a lot better than we will. And many other countries, same thing. Because now we're, having, we're honestly having a conversation about, hey, let's just get everything back to normal in two weeks no matter where we are. That's the new thing that it looks like the Trump administration is going to do, which is going to be a disaster beyond my ability to comprehend. Because that death toll is going to go up and up and up and up. It is going to be devastating. And he thinks it's better for his uh, re-election chances to try to pump the stock market back up and return everything to normal. But you know what's bad for your re-election chances, buddy? Bodies piling up, which is exactly what's going to happen. It's going to happen either way. It's going to happen even more if you try to send everything back to normal in two weeks. So uh, the Canadian response is, I think, better than ours. I think the U.K. response is better than ours. They're giving 80% of wages um, to working people They're giving hotel rooms to the homeless, and um, people are furloughed, not fired. Here, a lot of people are getting fired. A lot of people are getting fired. So um, Bernie Sanders did thankfully slip a good provision into uh, this terrible bill, which is 
unemployed folks get up to 100% of their wages up to $75,000 a year. Um, and that includes tipped workers and, and gig economy workers. So Bernie helped massively. He helped millions of people by doing that. But overall, the bill that we passed here is crumbs for the people and a giant, massive, insane corporate bailout and is an attempt to solidify the corporatocracy that we already have. And they did exactly that. We don't even have a system of capitalism. We have a system of corporatism. There's not actual competition among different businesses, no. The ones who are already at the top are going to remain at the top because it's corporate socialism. They're the ones who get the bailout. They're the ones who can never fail. They're the ones who are at the top of society. So we have corporate socialism in this country. We have a corporatocracy. And more effort is being put in propping up the corporatocracy than is being put in the people. And I wish we followed in Canada's footsteps here. I wish we did pretty much the exact thing that they're doing. Um, I wish we took some of what they're doing, some of what the UK is doing. I wish we nationalized the hospitals in the same way that Spain did. There's a lot that we could have done differently, and we're not. We're taking a more half-measure-ish approach when it comes to the people, and that's going to backfire in a way that, again, I can't wrap my mind around. It's going to backfire colossally. The U.S. is already on pace, already on pace to have the worst outbreak in the world, worse than Italy, worse than Spain, worse than China. Think about that. Okay. Okay. Now I'm going to go to one of the things I referenced there, which is Donald Trump and his new plan. Trump's attention span and his patience has seemingly run out with the pandemic. And now he might make the dumbest and most dangerous decision he's ever made. Here's what he said. We cannot let the cure be worse than the problem itself. At the end of the 15-day period, we will make a decision as to which way we want to go. Trump wants to order everything back to normal after two weeks. He said, yeah, on, uh, on Easter, I want everything to kind of go back to normal. Every single expert around him is saying, for the love of God, do not do that. We're not even going to hit the peak of the pandemic. And you want to order everything back to normal? That makes no sense. We're not even going to be at the peak. So thousands and thousands and thousands more people will get sick and thousands more people will die if he makes such an order. Well, so why? Why is he doing this? Why? Well, he also went on to say, the lamestream media is the dominant force in trying to get me to keep our country closed as long as possible in the hope that it will be detrimental to my election success. The real people want to get back to work ASAP. We will be stronger than ever before. He appears to genuinely believe that 
everybody who's telling him to keep everything shut down, they just don't like him and they want him to fail. So they're doing a little jujitsu maneuver. They're doing, they're playing chess and they're saying, oh yes, Don, you have to keep the economy closed because of the pandemic. But really they all think like, ha ha, what a fool. We're getting him to destroy the economy by doing this. And therefore it helps the Democrats and it hurts him. He thinks that this is what people are thinking. Now, listen, guys, I have nothing but disdain for mainstream media. You know that. I go after them more aggressively than maybe anybody. And I think I have more substantive criticisms than somebody like Trump does. Um, Here, I'll even give an example. They had a totally BS story. I spoke about this on Kyle and Corin as well. They blamed Trump because there was this couple that drank like fish tank cleaner. Why? Because the fish tank cleaner, one of the ingredients was one of the drugs that's being used to treat COVID-19, hydrochloroquine or something like that. These people drank like fish medicine, fish tank cleaner, something like that. And the media blames Trump and says all the headlines were like, people take drug Trump is touting and they get really sick. They're trying to be like, aha, I got you. That is so dishonest because Guys, I know, I have a friend who's a doctor in New York City. You know what they're using to treat this? The exact drug that Trump is saying that, that, you know, he supports and that there's mixed evidence for, and there is mixed evidence for it. So the idea that this is like a crank thing that he came up with and he's the only one pushing it and it's like a bogus, that's nonsense. There is evidence to suggest that it might work in some cases. Yes, the evidence is mixed, but there is something there. And you can't blame him for some idiot drinking fish tank cleaner. Are you kidding me? This is why when he says something like fake news media, it sticks. Because anybody who read past the headlines went, you know, that headline was kind of dishonest, wasn't it? I mean, it's ridiculous. So, yes, I hate the media as much as anybody else. I criticized the hell out of the Mueller report and Russiagate and impeachment, which I guaranteed everybody wasn't going to work, and I was right. But, Don, the people in the media who want you know, us to continue to fight this pandemic and stay inside. They don't want the spread of the pandemic to go further. This is an area where they're not, they're not that sinister where they're like, let's destroy the economy to hurt Trump. Because guess what? A lot of the people in mainstream media are wealthy people with stock portfolios and their portfolios took a massive hit. They're losing money. The Democratic Party, people like Nancy Pelosi and Chuck Schumer, they also take money from corporate America. Nobody wants to see the stock market implode, which doesn't only hurt the wealthy. It also hurts the people who are employed by the companies that are tanking. So a lot of people lose their jobs. Nobody wants to see this happen. Nobody wants to see everything blow up. But everything's blowing up because of a pandemic, and you can't just pretend the pandemic isn't there anymore. So it's not some weird, massive conspiracy to pretend like, you know, things are worse than they are and let's destroy the economy. Like, come on, man. So his conspiratorial thinking might literally get people killed. But it's, it goes deeper than that, too, because you know who's whispering in his ear about this? I'm not kidding. All of his Wall Street cabinet appointments. Larry Kudlow, who was famously wrong about everything he's ever said, every prediction he's ever made before the 2008 crash, he's like, there's not going to be a crash. What are you talking about? Sour grapes over here. We have a bull market. It's going to keep going up and up and up. A guy who's argued against the increase in the minimum wage, 
Larry Kudlow famously went out there in late February and was like, we've contained the virus. The dude has been wrong about everything. And this is one of the guys whispering in Trump's ear, you've got to reopen everything in two weeks. You've got to do it. You've got to do it. And you know what? They think, oh, if you just fire it back up, it's like a lawnmower. You know, it goes off, and then you pull the thing, and then it starts back up. And it's like, oh, yeah, we got it back up. That's not what's going to happen. That's not what's going to happen. You could order people back to normal. I guarantee you the economy is still going to plummet. I guarantee you the stock market is still going to implode. Hear me now. Quote me later. If he orders everybody back to work, the stock market is going to continue to plummet. If he doesn't order everybody back to work, the stock market is going to continue to plummet. It's going to continue to plummet. We have a pandemic. There's nothing you could do at this moment to stop it. The only thing you could do is send a lifeline to the American people, working people. That's the only thing you could do. They're also going to throw trillions and trillions of dollars, the companies, and at the financial institutions in a desperate attempt to shore up the market. They're going to try that, and they're already doing that. But there's nothing you could do to stop the stock market from imploding. It's happening. It's happening. So the idea, the fact that he's dumb enough to even think, like, okay, first of all, it's a good idea to send people back in two weeks as this pandemic is still ripping through the country, but also that, oh, it'll probably work and we'll see a giant, you know, rebound of the stock market. You've got to be out of your mind to think that's the case. Because just because you want to pretend like the pandemic is over doesn't mean the hospitals, which are overburdened, are also going to pretend. They're going to continue to collapse. The hospital system will continue to collapse. The number of people with the virus will continue to skyrocket. The number of deaths will continue to skyrocket. The bodies will pile up, and you're going to be blamed for it. And on top of all that, the market will continue to plummet. Because some people are also going to say, you know, I, we can't go back to normal. What are we going to do? I'm not going to go out there and get the virus and then die. So it's a mess, and this is not the steady hand of, you know, a strong leader. This is somebody who's flailing and doesn't know what the hell he's doing and changing his mind from one day to the next. I mean, imagine finally taking a global pandemic seriously when the numbers start rising in your home country. Finally taking it seriously. Too late, but taking it seriously. And then after two or three weeks saying, you know what? Screw it. Everybody back to work. I've never heard of such an extreme thing in my life. I've never heard of such a denial of empirical reality in my whole life. That's, it's, it's unfathomable. It's unfathomable. Uh, it's like the Titanic is sinking, and you realize, oh, my God, we have to try to stop this thing from sinking. And you start doing every single thing you can, you know, whatever it might be. Uh, plug up the hole, shut, batten down the hatches, shut off the... The parts of the ship that are taking on water, do everything you can. And then after, you know, like a quarter of the ship has sunk, you say, all right, everybody go back to your normal positions and everything's fine now. What? The ship is sinking. Yeah, but we're just going to, we're just going to go back to what we were doing before the ship was sinking because that's, that's, that's good. That's not going to stop the reality from the ship sinking. Doesn't matter how much you want to pretend otherwise. Honestly, though, this is the ultimate Trump move. Because you guys know it about Trump. I've told you the dynamic of it in detail. What does Trump do? He views everything as a marketing problem. It's not like, oh, a real political problem that I need to be intelligent to try to solve through policy. No. Everything's a marketing problem. So he thinks he could override anything they throw at him simply by doing the counter-narrative and overriding it with confidence. 
And listen, he's done that many times. What do you think happened? When, remember when they hit him with the Access Hollywood tape where they thought, this is it, this is going to end his campaign? The media was saying he's going to drop out. There's no way he could weather this storm. Are you kidding me? Look, they got him on tape basically admitting sexual assault. What did he do? He came out there. Quickest apology you've ever heard in your life. Yeah, it was locker room talk. I'm not proud of it, but it is what it is. Anyway, you know who the real predator is? Bill Clinton. See all those people in the front row? They're all his accusers. See, with me, it was just talk. With him, it was actions. It was actions. So anyway, that's who you need to be mad at. He's sitting right there. His name is Bill Clinton. That's a marketing strategy that worked. He effectively changed the conversation from Trump's a bad guy to, oh, wow, Bill Clinton is worse, isn't he? This is what Trump has done his entire political career, and it's worked. It's worked. But, Don, you can't do that as the bodies of your fellow countrymen are piling up. The bodies are piling up, and the hospital system is not just bad. It's going to collapse. You want to pretend that's not real and go out there and do the debates and pretend like we're doing amazingly, we're doing tremendously, the stock market has bounced back, we're weathering the storm, we're fighting the virus. It's all so wonderful as the body count goes up and up and up and up and up and up. And up. Not even you could override that one, big guy. And even though Biden can't form a coherent sentence and his brain doesn't work, they just need to sit his ass in the seat. Sit his ass in the debate seat. Feed him a little bit of Adderall beforehand, and we're off to the races. He doesn't even need to be coherent, because the American people would vote for a ham sandwich if your body count gets in the hundreds of thousands or millions of dead people a pandemic roaring through when you're effectively ignoring it and telling people not to believe their lying eyes, good luck. That ain't going to work. So here we are. The reality star might try to send everybody back to work in the middle of a roaring pandemic. We live in a simulation. This is a nightmare scenario. All right, next. Now we go to Senator Rick Scott. We have somebody in the media actually doing a good job for once and holding him accountable. Senator Rick Scott is trying to reduce the benefits for regular people in the COVID stimulus bill. And I don't know who this reporter is. I wish I could give him credit, but he really... Nailed his ass to the wall. I don't know how to ask this without sounding like I'm being a smart ass, but I'm not. But do you understand how bad the optics are to have probably the wealthiest person in the Senate potentially holding up this bill over a couple hundred bucks for some of the poorest people in this country? So. So here, here's what I care about. I want to make sure that our small businesses, all of our businesses, including our hospitals, our nursing homes, everybody can make sure people want to come to work. And I also want to make sure, which I, I, in the bill that does it, you have an unemployment system in the states that work, and we need to continue to work that, and we have a supplement to it. What he's doing is he's saying, no, no, we cannot give these poor people $1,200 
for the month. We can't do that. Why? Because when you look at their wages, their wages are far short of that $1,200 a month. So you're going to give them more than the person would make when they work? I mean, come on, man. That's not right. And he's saying, oh, this is going to disincentivize work. They're not going to want to work because they're getting more in benefits just sitting on the couch. The first response to that is, we don't want anybody to work right now because it is a pandemic and it is going to be a depression. So you can't, what are you going to do? You're going to send people out, sorry, but you have to die for Target. You have to die for whatever your minimum wage job is, fill in the blank. The whole point is we don't want people to work for the duration of the crisis. Like, literally, there was, there was a funny meme going around of, you know, this fat dude, like, laying on a couch half asleep. And it's like, in 2019, this dude's lazy. In 2020, this dude's a hero. Right. That's right. That's right. That's what, we, are, we don't want people to work right now. That's the point. That's the point. So to say, like, oh, well, you're going to incentivize them not to work. Now, um, you might say in response, well, Kyle, come on, that seems a little bit wrong. Because at some point, the crisis is going to be over. And you want that guy to sit on a couch? To which I respond to you, this isn't permanent. It's for like four months. It's not permanent. So the benefits will go away at a certain time. Are you really trying to tell me it's a real concern in this country? You know, these extra poor folks, these people who don't even make a living wage, I think they're going to live a little too high on the horse during this pandemic. So some of the most forgotten people in society who already should be making more money, we have a system that doesn't even pay them a living wage when they work a full-time job. You know, there's a term for that. It's called wage slavery. We have wage slavery in this country. So these people who are already underappreciated, you have somebody who's worth hundreds of millions of dollars, Rick Scott, who, by the way, perpetuated some of the largest Medicaid fraud in U.S. history. He was the head of a company that did massive Medicaid fraud. So this guy, who's a thug and a criminal, who's worth hundreds of millions of dollars, is like, I can't, no, I'm not, I'm not going to give a couple hundred bucks more to some of the poorest workers in the country. Because we want to incentivize them to get back to work in a freaking pandemic. Point number one, we don't want them to work in a pandemic. We don't want anybody to work in a pandemic. Point number two, these benefits eventually run out anyway, so your concern is BS. It's BS. By the way, so clutching his pearls over a couple hundred extra bucks to some of the poorest people in the country, these are the same people who are raising no objections to the multi-trillion, $4.5 trillion bailout of the financial institutions with no strings attached. So in other words... Welfare is bad. Corporate welfare is good. Socialism is bad. Corporate socialism is good. That's the way they think. Hey, if we're giving, if we're giving tax money to rich white dudes in suits and ties who are my buddies and my donors, I view that as totally legitimate that we have to do to save the system. But if we give a couple hundred extra bucks to a poor worker... I don't like that one. That's socialism, and that's bad, and that's negative. Some of the worst people in the country, man. Some of the worst people in the country. You shouldn't be doing the corporate bailout, and you should be doing the bailout of the people. Thankfully, Bernie Sanders defeated these people. 
Bernie Sanders won. And uh, at least when it comes to unemployment benefits, if you make up to $75,000, you will make 100% of your wages, including gig economy workers and, and um, people who are normally left behind by the unemployment insurance system. So he did a great thing, and these Republicans are showing you their true colors, so believe them when they tell you. Okay. All right, now we're going to go to Dan Patrick because he floated something which should absolutely scare the shit out of you. Texas Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick made some terrible comments on Fox News this week, and this went viral all over the place. And it went viral for obvious reasons. You're about to find out why. Living in fear of is what's happening to this country. And, you know, Tucker, no one reached out to me and said, uh, as a senior citizen, uh, are you willing to take a chance on your survival in exchange for keeping the America that all America loves for your children and grandchildren? And if that's the exchange, I'm all in. Um, And that doesn't make me noble or brave or anything like that. I just think there are lots of grandparents out there in this country, like me, I have six grandchildren, that what we all care about and what we love more than anything are those children. And I want to, you know, live smart and, and see through this, but I don't want the whole country to be sacrificed uh, and, I, and that's what I see. I've talked to hundreds of people, Tucker, in just in the last week, and uh, making calls all the time. And, and everyone says pretty much the same thing, that we can't lose our whole country. We, we're having an economic collapse. I'm also a small businessman. I understand it. And I talk with business people all the time, Tucker. And, and I'm so, my, I'm just, my heart is lifted tonight by what I heard the president say, because we can do more than you know, one thing at a time. We can do two things. So, well, you know, my message is that um, uh, let's get back to work. Let's get back to living. Let's be smart about it. Uh, and those of us who are 70 plus, we'll, we'll take care of ourselves, but don't sacrifice the country. Don't do that. Don't ruin it. So you're, you're basically dream. saying that this disease could take your life, but that's not the scariest thing to you. There's something that would be worse than dying. Yeah. Um, That's not the trade-off on the table. The real trade-off is, hey, do you want to sacrifice grandma and grandpa to the Dow Jones and the NASDAQ? And by the way, it still won't stop plummeting. So either stay home, try not to get the virus, and have an economic collapse, or go to work, maybe get the virus, and have an economic collapse. The idea that they think they could just, like, white-knuckle this thing. Like, everybody just shut up and go back to work. Everything will be fine. Let's just go back to what was going on before we had a pandemic. Everybody go act like there's not a pandemic. That's not going to work. You're still going to see the stock market implode. It's too late. It's gonzo going down. We already have seen the reverberating effects. We already have 3.3 million New unemployed people, officially, that doesn't include a lot of people who are unofficially unemployed, and that 
There are going to be reverberating effects from that for a long time. We're already talking about a crisis that's going to be a hell of a lot worse than the 2008 subprime mortgage crisis and Great Recession. The wheels are already in motion. The airline industry, forget about it. The hotel industry, forget about it. The casino industry, forget about it. The cruise ship industry, forget about it. The restaurant industry, forget about it. It's already too late. You can't just wake up and say, you know, I know we have a pandemic, but the American way of life is amazing. So if everybody just goes to work and keeps, keeps on keeping on, then you're fine. No, what you're doing is you're saying, let's increase the number of people with the virus. Let's increase the number of deaths from the virus. And also, let's continue to have this economic collapse because it's happening no matter what. There's no such thing as like, just act like it's just go back out there. Just fire the economy back up. It's not a freaking lawnmower. It's a complex thing. <laughs> so that's not even, even if we accept what he's saying, which is insane to do, and I'm not going to accept it, but even if we do, it, it's not, there's not like, somebody tweeted this, Internet Hippo tweeted this, like two big buttons in front of him, like economy do good and, you know, save people's lives. Like, those are the options. Like, okay, if we click economy do good, people die. But if we click, you know, if people die, the economy's gone. It's like, no, it's, it's, that's, it's not a trade-off like that. It's not that simple. It's a lot more complex. So what they want to do is send people back to work. And, guys, they're stupid enough to actually sit there and think, like, okay, we sent everything back to normal. Here we are, you know, earlier mid-April, sending everything back to normal. So let's see. I bet the economy bounces back and the stock market goes up. And they'll sit there and watch. And I guarantee you within a week, you'll have more giant implosions. Of course you're going to have more giant implosions. So even if we accept what he's saying, it's insane because that's not how it's going to unfold. Um, but beyond that, and this is the point everybody else has been making, hold on. You guys were screaming about death panels under the Obama administration from the top of your lungs. And now you've totally embraced this idea of death panels. You want grandma and grandpa to line up and maybe die and kill themselves for the sake of the Dow Jones and the NASDAQ. By the way, he says everybody I've talked to says this. Really? Everybody I've talked to says the exact opposite. <laughs> They're like, no, I'm not. Are you kidding me? Sacrifice ourselves for the freaking stock prices? Seriously? Are you insane? Not in a million years would I want to do that. Of course not. Why would I want to do such a thing? This isn't even, like, it's not even like you're asking for, you know, the sacrifice of, we have to fight the world's greatest evil, Hitler. And so we're going to go to war against them. And people lay down their lives to fight this genuinely great evil. But now you're saying, like, sacrifice yourself to the Dow Jones. Sacrifice yourself to keep stock prices up, which is really only enriching the people at the top. See, that's the thing with the stock market. It's a scam because when the stock market does well, they privatize the profits. And the people who do well are the owners of the companies and the shareholders and the, um, you know, the 1%. The people at the top, the rich people who own stocks and the people in the companies and the owners. They're the people who really reap the rewards and the benefits. But then when the stock market goes down, it, they're not the only people who feel the pain. Because people get fired and laid off and it reverberates throughout the entire economy. So you privatize the profits, and then socialize the losses. And you get a bailout. And so tax, the people who just lost their jobs and just got fired, their tax money ends up bailing out these people again, even more at the top. So it's not, 
you're asking people to sacrifice themselves for the least noble thing imaginable. The least noble thing imaginable. Man. Any Republicans out there who consider themselves even a tiny percent, even 20% populist, this is, this is, these are your people over here? Come get your boy. He's not the only one saying it, by the way. Glenn Beck, same thing, same argument on his show. Same argument on his show. It is now becoming a commonly held position among, you know, thought leaders on the right, among public personas on the right, where they're like, I don't just... Just go back to normal, everything, just go back like everything's normal. I don't see the problem. Sure, it'll add to tens of thousands of more, maybe hundreds of thousands more people with the virus. Sure, thousands and thousands of people will die from the virus on top of what, what's already happening. But, you know, Dow Jones and the NASDAQ and, you know, rich people got to make money and numbers on screen go up. <laughs> that, we must see numbers on screen go up. Must see numbers. I want to protect my family from dying. Shut up. Number on screen must go up. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, God. Ask yourself this question. Why is it other countries are reacting rationally to this? And the United States is already contemplating throwing up its hands and rage quitting and saying, you know what? Fuck it. Shut up and go back to work, and whatever happens, happens. Other countries can handle such a crisis about to go into the phase of the crisis where we just stop pretending that there's actually a crisis. This is the equivalent of somebody with stage, stage 3 or stage 4 cancer learning that they get cancer, going to one or two chemotherapy treatments and saying, you know what, I want to keep living, but I'm good. I'm not going to go to get the treatment anymore. What? You just said you want to keep living. What do you... Actually, no, they're saying they want to die. So, okay, I guess, <laughs> I guess that's not a good analogy. But that's what, the, that's what this is. You just learned you got cancer. And you're saying, I'm just not going to get treatment. No, actually, my analogy does make sense. Because they want society to keep moving on as if everything is healthy and functioning properly. But their strategy and their plan will have so many more people die and so many more people get sick. But they still want to act like everything's okay. Yeah, it's the perfect analogy. You have cancer, you go get one or two treatments, and then you're just like, I'm good, I'm good. And people are like, bro, you're going you're gonna to die if you stop. No, I'm, I'm just going to, uh, it's a way of life that not, to not get the treatment and just act like I don't have uh, sickness. What? <laughs> what are you doing? Go get the treatment. Stop it. By the same token, stay inside, stay inside, stay inside. Absolutely stay inside because the economy is going to implode anyway. And you should be healthy, and you should be safe, and you should be secure, and we shouldn't have to do such a brazen trade-off. We must sacrifice our people to the market gods, yes. We must sacrifice them at the altar of free market fundamentalism. And actually, that's not fair, because this isn't a free market. This is corporate socialism. This is corporatism. Bail out the rich. Bail out the corporations. Bail out the 1%. Bail out the owner class. Give them the key to the treasury and let them loot it as far as the eye can see. That's not capitalism. Because capitalism, if you go bankrupt, you go bankrupt. That's it. So this isn't even that. It's not even free market fundamentalism. It's corporate fundamentalism. It's, it's corporatist fundamentalism. They really do believe it like it's a religion and like it's a cult. It's a death cult. Literally, it's a death cult. You just act like nothing's wrong. Go and shut up. 
This is mainstream discourse in America in 2020 during a roaring pandemic. Okay. All right, let me take a break. When we come back, um, David Pakman put together a compilation of right-wing fundamentalists who are hawking bogus cures to COVID-19. I got that, and I got much more. Stay right there, y'all.
right, I'm back, bitch. I am back, bitch. All right, here we go. Alex Jones made it into today's show. Congratulations, Alex. I know you've lost a lot of relevance lately. Um, and I got a whole bunch of unbelievable charlatans. Unbelievable charlatans to discuss. <clears throat> David Pakman put together quite a compilation here. This is uh, right-wing commentators as well as Christian fundamentalist folks and just all-around charlatans pushing bogus cures for coronavirus. God gave us this product, yes. I believe. Yes. How many years ago did we get this product? He gave this to us about 10, 12 years ago. Yeah. With and we have it at our home. Yes. We have it in cases. We use it all the time. I have this, and, uh, I mean, I don't think I'd have made it without silver. Uh, it for my throat and all that. Absolutely. Because I've I've had this, and uh, this is amazing. Why is what, silver so so? Would you recommend, as a doctor, people to have silver in their house for, for a pandemic? Be, you never want to be without silver. Never. For so many reasons. Never. Never. You know, this is a staple. Talk yes. about staples. It is a this is a staple for your family. Yes. And, and we can talk more about it. Maybe we have more time. Yeah, we got time. All I can say is that it has been proven by the government that it has the ability to kill every pathogen it has ever been tested on, including SARS and HIV. Eight seven 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 eight nine two five three nine on the South Tuesday Global Transmission. Uh, I'm not going to belabor this. Uh, I'm just going to tell you that. For just your daily life and your gums and your teeth and for regular viruses and bacteria, the patented nano silver we have, the Pentagon has come out and documented at Homeland Security and said this stuff kills the whole SARS corona family at point blank range. Well, of course it does. It kills every virus. <laughs> but it's different. They found that. And then this, is a, this is 13 years ago. And the Pentagon uses the product we have. And the product we have in private label is about to be in Walmart coming up. They, they just ordered a massive crap ton of the, the, not the one they have, but it's even better one than we have. So I'm just saying, we're always cutting edge, thank to God. I just, I just go with the research, go with the spirit, and we always have it. The, the nano, the silver toothpaste, in the super blue with the tea tree and the iodine, that's the super blue, is amazing. And then we have the whitening toothpaste that has the nano silver uh, and a lot more as well. Those are both excellent. They're at InfoWarsShore.com. They're still discounted despite all the hell breaking loose. We have storable food in stock, but we have to package it, and it's six to eight weeks behind shipping it out to you. Other people will lie to you. Got big old Pinocchio noses. We're not. That's what's going on. You want storable food? You want to get delivered? This thing, if it is super bad, peaks in about 12 weeks in the U.S., the model show. So you'll you get your food at InfoWarsStore.com, and it's high quality. It's a very low price. They haven't raised prices yet, but I'm told it's next week. So InfoWarsStore.com. Put your hand on that television set. Yes, Lord. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus. He received your healing. Yes. 
they just want answers. It, it, again, it clearly doesn't have to be the right answer. They just want some answers. People don't do well with not knowing. People don't do well with cognitive dissonance. They just want something. Give me something. And um, so, I mean, look at some of those are more egregious than others. Actually, I don't know. Yeah, actually, some of them are. So the vaping one that Sean Hannity's talking about, there's mixed evidence on that front. There, I guess he's citing um, some study of vapors doing better in the pandemic. I don't know about that, but there's also, if you type in uh, COVID and vaping, you'll see that there's mixed evidence and some articles say the opposite, that, you know, the uh, vapors are doing worse in the pandemic. I don't know. I- I'm willing to file that under um, just the agnostic uh, category for myself at the moment. Um, and I hate that. This happens all the time. When it, how many times have you seen articles of like, wine is good for you, wine is bad for you, or coffee is really good for you, coffee is really bad for you. I've seen, con- you know, sleeping more than eight hours a day is great. Sleeping uh, more than eight hours a day is actually terrible. And it's like, okay, okay, all the things that have like obvious contradictory evidence just the media should just not discuss those things <laughs> just make the de- i'm not saying ban it i'm just saying they should make the decision of their own volition like i'm not going to discuss these things because they don't know what they're talking about and then they further confuse people but anyway i digress from that the other ones are the, are really bad um the the silver product that jim baker is pushing that's his name right jim baker i think it's jim baker jesus man come on Come on, dude. You know, it, this watching these people say what they say, it really, it's so jarring that it almost ha- gets me back to questioning some of the most basic assumptions I have. Namely, one of the things that I truly believe is never, never assume malice where just simple wrongness will do. So that's one of my operating assumptions, that the overwhelming majority of the time, if somebody's wrong about something, it's not because they're like nefarious liars and they're malicious. No, it's a lot more likely that they just have a sincerely incorrect belief. And that's one of the things I definitely believe. But when you watch something like this, you go, come on, man. You're telling me Jim Baker doesn't know that this goofy silver product he's selling with a cheap looking label on it, that that's not going to cure all of your illnesses. He has to know that that's not true, which then, you know, takes you to a pretty dark place that in, in some instances, perhaps in many instances, these people, they literally know that they're charlatans and con men, the con men and frauds. They know it because I, I can't fathom that he doesn't understand that that product he's selling is nonsense. He has to know it's nonsense. Um, Alex Jones selling his toothpaste and saying this is going to help, help fight illnesses. And I like how he dressed it like, government admits to it. And it's like, well, hold on now. All the time on your show, you talk about how the government is evil and how, you know, they get the one world government and they're trying to take, a, take over and they're the Illuminati and they hate the people and they're facilitating a genocide and all this stuff. But then when it's convenient, you're like, well, the government approves of this. Wouldn't that make it worse? Yeah. <laughs> Suddenly they're to be trusted and believed. Uh, it's just massive contradiction. But tell me, a toothpaste man, really? The toothpaste? By the way, the New York Attorney General sent like a cease and desist letter to Alex Jones saying, listen, bro, if you keep going with this, we're going to have to sue you for fraud. We have to. Because you're hawking bogus cures. You can't casually say like, oh, this cures coronavirus. Um, 
And then finally you have the, the prayer option. Tale as old as time on that one. You would think that at a certain point, maybe the age of the Enlightenment and onward, that people would go, you know, even if prayer just might make me feel better psychologically and just give me hope, I'm going to just go ahead and file it in that area. I'm going to file it um, under the just giving me hope label because clearly it, it's not an actual cure. You're not going to actually cure yourself, and, but they're acting as if that's true. It definitely, um, I forget the guy's name, but he famously said uh, he wanted his audience to buy him a, a private airplane because he didn't want to be, in his words, I don't want to be in a tube with demons. So he doesn't want to be in public with other human beings, but he wants those other human beings to fund the purchase of his private jet. Just like Jesus. Jesus would want a private jet, and Jesus would call regular people demons, of course. So that's what this guy does. This guy is uh, such a fraud that he's part of the prosperity gospel, which is this bogus notion that, you know, Jesus actually wants you to be wealthy and rich and part of the uh, top 1%. It basically totally inverts the message of Jesus to, like, some sort of self-help, you know, guru who's all about increasing your finances. Um, and it's fine, you know, hey, if you, if you care about increasing your finances, God bless. But just don't, why would pretend and marry that with the guy who was the hippie communist before communism was a thing? I mean, this guy was all about redistribution. <laughs> so it, it's just it's stunning to me that anybody goes out there in the year 2020 and they can pretend like prayer is going to help fix this. It's really sad. What I would say to everybody is put whatever faith you have, whatever hope you have in science and medicine, and there are reasons to believe that we have certain things that help fight this virus. Um, one of the things is, yes, the thing that Trump's been talking about quite a bit. Um, there's some evidence to the contrary, but there's also evidence that, hey, this thing might actually have some promise, um, chloroquine and, and mixing it with one or two other things, which I don't know the name of the, off the top of my head. And then you have... Uh, uh, I'm going to butcher the name again, but I'm going to try my best here. Favipiravir? I think I, I think I got it. Yeah, Favipiravir, also known as Avigan. Uh, it's an antiviral drug being developed by Toyama Chemical of Japan um, with activity against many RNA viruses. And this is an RNA virus. So... Um, there's reason to believe that that even has more promise than the chloroquine. So, but either way, people are working on it, and they're going at record, record, record speed. So put faith in science. Don't put faith in these charlatan conmen frauds. All right, next. Let's talk about the liars over at Boeing. Boeing is one of the companies that came crawling to the federal government hat in hand, begging for a bailout in the wake of this current crisis. But their CEO made a rookie mistake. He went on Fox Business Network and he said this. I don't have a need for an equity stake. I, I don't. That's never what we. I know, but if they force it, but what 
But do you think they would force it as a counterbalance to assistance? Yeah, no, if they force it, uh, we just we just look at all the other options, and we've got plenty of them. So it's not it's, it's just not ideal for us or our suppliers and all of those companies spread throughout the United States. It's not ideal if we don't have it. Um, but if, if they attach too many things to it, of course you take a different course. Let me explain what's going on there. He was asked a question, what if the government says we want a stake in the company for a bailout? So in other words, what that means is the government is not just giving them free money. The government is saying, if we give you money, we are now part owners of the company. So really, effectively, what we're talking about is semi-nationalization. Now, the reason that the Fox Business host is asking that question, Maria Bartiromo is asking that question, is because some people in the Trump administration floated this idea that, hey, we might not do bailouts. We might, do, we might ask for equity in the company. We might want to own part of the company for giving them money because, you know, if you give money to Boeing, you are a shareholder of Boeing. That's the way it works. But the government's supposed to just shut up, turn, turn its brain off, give a, ba- a bailout, no strings attached, no rules associated with it, no strings attached. And by the way, we don't even want the part ownership. We're just giving you free money. So the fact that the Trump government floated that is a good thing. But of course, of course, it was nonsense. They backed off of it. They're not going to do part ownership. They're not going to do semi-nationalization. They're not going to do any of it. Because ultimately, they're corporatists. They're not, they're not lefties. They're not even traditional conservatives. They're not even capitalists. They're corporatists. They believe in corporate socialism. They want to they solidify the current status quo. They don't want actual competition. They don't want their, their, you know, their buddies' businesses to go out of business. They want to protect them from that. They're corporatists. So he was asked that question. And he's like, if they want to own part of the company, I'm going to say no, and i got other options. I'll just use the other options. You guys were just saying you need a bailout. You know what needing a bailout means? It means you don't have other options. I need to be bailed out because I have no other options. So you're saying you have other options. Okay, how about you www.moveon.com? Go use the other options. Go use other options. Don't come here asking for a bailout. And meanwhile, you're like, you know, I got a lot of other things I could do. What is that? What is that? So go ahead, go ahead, go ahead. Now, here's the crazy thing. Even with him saying that, I bet you he's going to get a bailout, no strings attached. And I haven't looked at the details of the bill that just passed yesterday, but it's probably in there, almost certainly in there, that he got some, you know, number of billions of dollars. So... It's just that is so – how frustrating is that, that we have people right now in this country, right now, who are like, bro, I can't wait for the check. I need the check from the government. i got to pay bills on April 1st, and I don't have the money. So many people are in that boat. So many people. Why not why, – why has Congress made you jump through hoops to get the money? Some people won't get it for months. Some people will get it relatively soon, but there are plenty of people who are left behind by it too. People who didn't file taxes in 2018 or 2019, they, they don't get the $1,200 that Congress is allocating. By the way, it's only a one-time payment, but they're not doing that. They're not getting it. They made it so it's hard for regular people to get the money that they need right now. And then meanwhile, 
You have corporate CEOs saying, hey, give us a bailout, and if you give us any terms and conditions, you know what? Piss off. Okay, then good. I hope the government pisses off, but they won't do it. They're going to bail them out. You want to know why? Because Boeing and Honeywell and Raytheon and, you know, fill in the blank with all of the big banks, Morgan Stanley, Citibank, um, all the financial institutions, they own the government. So they effectively are going to get whatever the hell they want. Even when they say, I don't really need it, but give me a bailout. Meanwhile, people are screaming, I need help now. And the government's like, eh, maybe we'll give you some crumbs. Maybe. But fill out some paperwork first. Oh, jeez. Final thing I'll say is that Boeing spent $43 billion on stock buybacks. Um, in 2017, the GOP passed a tax cut bill. A tax cut for corporations and the wealthy, mostly. 83% of the benefits went to the the rich in the country. Um, part of that bill incentivized stock, bu- stock buybacks. Part of that bill incentivized corporate outsourcing. So the bill was a mess. It was exactly what corporate America has wanted, exactly what the 1% has wanted. They did $43 billion of stock buybacks. They more than doubled their stock price in 2017 and 2018. Then they made a plane that couldn't fly. They made a plane that crashed many times. And now they're running to the government asking for a bailout while simultaneously saying, we really need it, but give, it, give us money. This one story is just so indicative of, honestly, the implosion of America. FDR is rolling over in his grave listening to this story. FDR is rolling over in his grave. How the hell did we get to this point? How do we get to the point where corporate America and the 1% always get a bailout? always get a bailout and have no strings attached or very few strings attached. And the people always get screwed and get crumbs. How do we get to this point? There should have been rules. There should be rules now. Any bailout money, first of all, I wouldn't bail out. I would, I would temporarily nationalize. But if you're going to bail out, you better totally ban stock buybacks, totally ban stock buybacks, you know, put caps on executive compensation. You know, a couple of years ago, the CEO made $80 million. $80 million. Make sure they have emergency funds as one of the rules of a bailout. Hey, this ain't happening anymore. We're mandating you need to have a certain percentage of this money is an emergency fund moving forward, and you have to continue to contribute to it. They're not going to do it. Because, again... We don't live in a democracy. We now officially live in what I'm calling a corporatocracy. That's what it is. And this is such a clear example of it here. Look at how much the Boeing CEO feels like he could boss the government around to give him whatever he wants, and it's going to work. All right, next. The media is finally realizing that perhaps Bernie Sanders was right all along. Um, Look at what they're saying now that we are officially a nation in crisis. Vivian Sanders. 
state emergency services around the country are pleading with the White House for more protective gear amidst the coronavirus pandemic. On Sunday, President Trump again resisted invoking the Defense Production Act, wartime authority to mobilize industries. We're a country not based on nationalizing our business. Uh, uh, call a person over in Venezuela, ask them how did nationalization of their businesses work out? Not too well. Uh, the concept of nationalizing our business is not a good concept. Joining me now is Michael Chertoff, former Homeland Security Secretary for President George W. Bush. Thank you very much, Michael. I know you're, you're an expert of crisis management around the world. With all due respect to the President, the Defense Production Act created in the Korean War after all of the wartime production, the B-17s that all the Rosie the Riveters produced, is not socialism, it's not Marxism, it's not Venezuela. It's very much American to have this act and have it ready for a crisis such as this. We're speaking, if there is any precedent, what fixes this? What, what should they do today? So this is a great question. In, in the space of three weeks, I've gone from asking questions like, how do we pay for certain policies to retreating tweets from the likes of Bernie Sanders and Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez? We need to protect people, the most vulnerable people in society, and we need to do it in size, and we need to do it at speed. So these cash handouts that people are talking about, exactly right. The problem is we've done this in the past, and those checks took an average of two months to get to people. We need a massive, massive fund to support small and medium-sized enterprises, perhaps interest-free. Let them borrow money so that they don't fire their employees, even if they're not doing anything. Anybody who's sincere about addressing a crisis like we have right now, they instantly become lefties. Instantly. You want to know why? Because in a time of crisis, nobody's like, man, the government needs to do a lot less, doesn't it? What? No, the only way you can mobilize to fix some of these problems is with a centralized effort. It's the only way. Top down. Sometimes you need top down solutions. Listen, it doesn't mean bottom up is not a thing that should happen quite a bit. It should. But in certain circumstances, like climate change, for example, it needs to come from the top down. We need to enact government policies. It, it, there's no way around it. You have to do that. Um, by the same token, dealing with the pandemic, you need to lock down the country. You need quarantines. You know, you have to do that in order to, to curb the, the spread of this thing. You have to have a national healthcare system to really mobilize in a way where you get all the hospitals what they need. There's no way you could do it with our ragtag, broken down, fragmented system where, you know, there's no centralized authority really making the decisions. This is why Spain nationalized their hospitals um, in this crisis. They didn't have nationalized hospitals before. Now they do. Because they're like, what do, we have to address this. You can't have a system where, you know, people are worried about making a profit in a pandemic. What are you going to do? So what happens? If you're not going to make a profit, you're going to turn away everybody that needs the care? The incentive structure is all messed up with the system. And right now you're seeing, and the other point is the direct cash to people. Like, yeah, we need to do that. There's no way around it. If you don't do that, we're looking at a crisis that's even greater than the Great Depression. Now, the, the thing that Andrea Mitchell was talking about is fascinating because it's the Defense Production Act, which basically makes it so that the president can tell private businesses, stop what you're doing, help us with this effort, like it's a war effort. We're fighting a war against the pandemic, a war against the virus. 
very similar to a war against a foreign enemy. So the idea is let's make it so that private businesses are compelled to make the things that we need. Namely, you go to car companies and they have the ability to make ventilators. So you go to them and say, make ventilators and make them now. The president demanding private industry do certain things. And notice what they said there. What is effectively temporary nationalization of certain industries. You got Andrea Mitchell like, this isn't socialism. This isn't Venezuelan. This is, this is so American. Man, it finally occurred to me after seeing this clip and after seeing something that uh, Jimmy Dore retweeted. Because somebody tweeted to Jimmy Dore, hey, man, I don't want to call a direct cash payment to everybody um, and free health care for COVID-19. I don't want to ca- call that socialism. It's Americanism. So you're telling me all along the answer was right under our noses, that the way you get Americans to fully embrace a a left agenda, even though they already do when you go issue for issue, but the way you bump up support even more to where it's nearly unanimous, it should just cloak it in patriotism. That's it? That's all you had to do? Okay, noted. (laughs) Noted. Moving forward, we will be doing that on this show. Why? Because it clearly works. When you can get MSNBC hosts who are corporatists to their core to be like, you know, I think we should nationalize businesses to make sure that we can fight back against the, uh, you know, this common enemy of the virus. I think the federal government should compel private businesses to do certain things when it's necessary for the nation. Hmm, you don't say. Okay, great. So um, from now on, we will uh, be endlessly pushing the notion that all these programs and a, a, leftward, a left agenda is deeply American, deeply American. FDR, Martin Luther King Jr. Martin Luther King Jr. was killed doing what? The Poor People's Campaign. He was killed protesting for union rights, for labor. So, you know, there is a strong history, whether it's the war on poverty, whether it's Medicare, Medicaid, Social Security, of leftism in America. That is as American as apple pie. So let's say it. Social democracy or democratic socialism, as American as apple pie. So I got it. I will now use that framing moving forward because apparently that's all you needed to, to really convince everybody, including corporate media hosts. I love when that uh, commentator said, I went from asking how are we going to pay for all these things to retweeting Bernie Sanders and Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. Oh, so you woke up. You woke up. You realize, like, oh, oh, this is really serious. And um, there's only one way to fight this, which is to actually fight it by mobilizing at the national level, having the federal government spring into action. So congratulations. Now, just make sure that when this crisis is over, you don't go right back to being wrong. Because... In the same way that we desperately need national health care and people to get free treatment for coronavirus, we need it for cancer, we need it for strokes, we need it for heart attacks, we need it for other viral diseases, we need it for other bacterial infections, we need it for everything when it comes to health care. The direct cash payment, I'll tell you what, now it's very clear, people are like, oh my God, look, so many people are going to be unemployed, so many people are going to be screwed, they can't pay the bills. I got news for you, man. We have tens of millions of working poor people in this country before the crisis. 
Now we're just exacerbating how many people are going to be unemployed and how many people are going to be in dire straits. But there were always people, talking about 500,000 homeless people, for example, you know, people who, who work full-time and don't make enough money to survive. They were always there. So now you could see how stark it is with a crisis. Just keep these things in mind. Keep it in mind for when the pandemic is over because we're still going to have massive problems that we need to attack in a way where we embrace left solutions because they're the only solutions. Okay. Now we go to Joseph Biden. There's a woman by the name of Tara Reed. Um, not Tara Reed, not to be confused with uh, the actress who spells it differently and also says Tara, not Tara, but I've heard this pronounced Tara, Tara Reed. Um, she was a former staffer for Joe Biden, and she came out and has made an accusation of sexual assault. So Ryan Grimm broke the story, and um, Tara went on Katie Halper's podcast. So let's listen to some of what she had to say about her encounter. He just said, hey, come here, Tara. And then I, I handed him the thing, and he greeted me. He remembered my name. And then it, we were alone, and it was the strangest thing. There was no, like, exchange, really. He just had me up against the wall. And um, I was wearing, like, a skirt and, you know, a business skirt, but I wasn't wearing stockings. It was kind of a hot day, a day, and I was wearing heels. And I remember my legs had been hurting from the marble, you know, of the capital, mm-hmm. like, walk. And I, so I remember that kind of stuff. I remember, like, I was wearing a blouse, and he just had me up against the wall, and the wall was cold. And I remember he, it happened all at once. The gym bag, I don't know where it went. I handed it to him. It was gone, and then his hands were on me and underneath my clothes. And, um, yeah, and then he went, oh, he went down my skirt, but then up inside it, and he uh, penetrated me with his fingers. And um, I, uh, he was kissing me at the same time, and he was saying something to me. He said several things, and I can't remember everything he said. I remember a couple of things. I remember him saying first, like, as he was going, do you want to go somewhere else? And then he's saying to me, when I pulled away, he... Um, got finished doing what he was doing, and I was pulled back, and he said, he said, come on, man, I heard you liked me. Mm-hmm. And it's that phrase stayed with me because I kept thinking what I might have said, and I can't remember exactly if he said I thought or if I heard, but it's like he implied, like, that I had done this. Like, I don't know. And for me, it was like every, everything shattered in that moment because I knew, like, we were alone. It was over, right? He wasn't trying to do anything more, but it's, I looked up to him. He was like my father's age. He was this champion of women's rights in my eyes, and I couldn't believe it was happening. It didn't. It seemed surreal, and I just I knew 
I, I just felt sick because he, when he pulled back, he looked annoyed. And he said um, something else to me that I, I don't want to say. And then he said, he, I must have looked shocked. And he grabbed me by the shoulders. I don't know how I looked, but I must have looked something because he grabbed me by the shoulders and he said, you're okay, you're fine, you're okay, you're fine. And then he walked away and he went out with his day. And what I remember next is me in a Russell building, like where the big windows are and the stairs by myself. And my body, I was shaking everywhere because and it was cold all of a sudden. And I, I don't know, I felt like I was shaking just everywhere. And I was trying to grasp what had just happened. So she went to the Time's Up people. Remember, you know, the whole Me Too movement, Me Too, Time's Up? She went to the Time's Up people to tell them about what Biden did to her. And they basically told her to kick rocks. They gave her some BS excuse about how, oh, we're, you know, we can't go public with this because we're a nonprofit and Biden's running for president. I wish people would just be honest, and I wish they would say, like, yeah, listen, we're also total Democratic Party hacks, and so we're going to protect the Democratic Party come hell or high water. So even though the whole point is like, man, time's up, time's up, we're going to make sure that the day of powerful men getting away with their crimes, their sex crimes, is, is over, and then you have somebody who's like, hey, here's a powerful man who did sex crimes. They're like, eh, new phone, who did See, what happened was the sun was in my eyes, and I wasn't even sure about all that, that I was hearing when people were saying that they got to see that you was, I know that there was an issue, and then, but I, we got to make sure that with a nonprofit status, if you carry the six, and then make sure that the thing happens with, who knows, if, is, there, is, there, is there any evidence? <laughs> so this is the whole, like, all, and uh, guys, listen, I am a deep, deep believer in due process deep believer. These are the people, though, who say, believe all women. Believe all women. Now, I know, I know I've heard the thousand, like, tortured rationalizations from people, including people I know and respect, who are like, no, 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 believe all women doesn't mean believe all women. What the hell does it mean, then? <laughs> what does it mean? You're literally saying the words. That means... Believe all the way. It means what it means, obviously. But like the same people who make those arguments, all they're acting like this isn't even happening. Go ahead. Go look. Has CNN brought this up? As of me doing this segment, they haven't. MSNBC? As of me doing this segment, they haven't. New York Times, Washington Post, any of the major? Nope. As of, this, as of me doing this segment, they haven't. So you know what? I'm going to ask you guys. I'm going to ask you guys. Tweet at whoever the hell. Tweet at some CNN reporters, some MSNBC reporters or hosts, you know, some New York Times people, some Washington Post people. Don't tweet to just like at MSNBC. Tag in people, whoever it might be, Joy Reid, Rachel Maddow, uh, Jake Tapper over at CNN, um, Chris Cuomo. Please tweet them either this segment or, you know, the story of it. I, I'll leave the story in the video description box, The you know, Ryan Grimm story, where he lays out everything, tweet it at mainstream reporters. Because, guys, it's journalistic malpractice that they haven't talked about this. You want to know why? Anybody makes a peep against Trump, and there are many accusations of sexual assault and harassment against Trump. 
But they'll talk about it till the cows come home. It's endless. There was, what, over 20 accusations against Trump? Every one of them they breathlessly reported on, like, oh, man, you know, this is bad. I think the Me Too movement's right, and time's up for these guys who are powerful and who abuse their authority and everything. Here we have an accusation against Joe Biden. Nobody's saying anything. Listen, did they couldn't prove any more if they tried that corporate media are just establishment democratic hacks. They're not media, the Republicans are wrong when they say, "Oh, the media has a left-wing bias." This is what they say. Left-wing bias in the media. No, they have no left-wing bias. They hate Bernie Sanders just as much, if not more, than they hate Donald Trump. What they are is an establishment democratic propaganda outlet. All of them corporate Democratic propaganda outlet. In the same way that Fox News does propaganda for the Republican Party, MSNBC and CNN do propaganda for the Democratic Party. That's what it is. And so you have a credible allegation against Biden. They're not even talking about it. They're not even reporting on it. Biden's team hasn't responded to it. Biden hasn't said anything. It's really egregious. It's really egregious. Because again, these are all the same people who say, believe all women, you know, treat it all seriously. Uh, I love the Me Too movement and the Time's Up movement, and this is what they say. And now when it's somebody who they like, they don't say anything. It's really gross, man. It's really gross. She was a former Biden staffer. At the time, at the time in the 1990s, she told family members about it, and she told friends about what had happened. And, of course, the response from anybody in, among that establishment Democratic crowd what have they done? One of the things they've done is they've said, oh, this is a you know, Russian disinformation campaign. They go back to playing their greatest hits. Everybody I don't like is a Russian puppet, you know? And they also, you know, they're trying to say, oh, this is a Bernie Sanders hit job or something. As far as I know, she doesn't even support Bernie Sanders. I think she was like an Elizabeth Warren supporter. Um, and also, uh, pretty bad timing if it was supposed to be like, you know, Oppo from the Bernie team or whatever, the guy who won't even call Joe Biden corrupt is not going to bring up something like this. But, you know, it waited till the race is almost totally over, and now you release it. So it's not... People should take the allegation just as seriously as they take the allegations against Trump. And the corporate Democrats are not doing that. They're protecting Biden, which is no surprise, because they've pretended to this point that he doesn't have cognitive decline, when that is pretty damn obvious. Pretty damn obvious. So we live in a hellscape, man. We got one um, serial groper with dementia versus another serious groper with dementia. Serial groper. Serial serious. It's both of those things. Our options are horrendous. If only there was somebody else who was still running in the race. There is. What do you know? So um, I feel bad for Tara because she gains nothing from this. She gains nothing from this. She, uh, she's going to get the ire of the entire Democratic establishment. I haven't seen any Republicans bring it up, although they might at some point, but, you know, has even more accusations against him. So I don't know if they've just said, you know, we'll just leave all that whole topic aside. But I'm sure it's, this has brought nothing but, uh, you know, pain for her. So I feel for Tara. And um, 
I'm even at this late date, even I'm naive because I really thought that they'd at least have to address this. They haven't. They've just ignored it and acted like it didn't happen, even though she was a former Biden staffer and the story appears to add up in many ways that uh, certainly make it credible enough where they would be screaming it from the rooftops who was a Republican who did it. All right. I got more on Joseph Biden. CNBC released an inadvertently damning article on Joe Biden. Here's what it says. Joe Biden is in the process of narrowing down his list of potential running mates, and his allies in the business community are weighing in with their favorite choices. Since, since Biden announced earlier this month that he plans to pick a woman as his, as his nominee for vice president, leaders of Wall Street, Silicon Valley, and other industries have been reaching out to him and his presidential campaign about whom they think should be on the ticket. Wow, according to people with direct knowledge of the matter. Some of these business leaders involved with the lobbying effort are fundraising for Biden's campaign. They declined to be named in the story because these conversations were deemed private. It's private to have oligarchs pick who our vice president would be. That's private. It's private. This is the same way, you know, Iran, the Ayatollahs pick who your choices are for president. This is the same thing. That's what this is. We have the money primary here. They have the religious primary there. We have the money primary here. We have the money ayatollahs. And they're they're determining who Biden's vice president will be. If Biden wins, the vice president has a pretty decent chance of becoming president because Biden ain't looking too good right now. So that person, let's repeat it, that person is being picked by leaders of Wall Street, Silicon Valley, and other industries. And they're picking it largely because they've been top donors to Biden's campaign. They're not even, like, they write this article on CNBC, and they're just doing it as, yeah, this is how it works. This is what's happening. They're writing it just in a dry, factual way. When any normal person reading that is going to be like, oh, my God. There used to be a time where you had to at least try to hide your corruption. Now they just say it matter-of-factly. And act like this is, there's nothing wrong, this is business as usual. That's not morally grotesque to you people. So you're not picking VP based on merit. You're not picking VP based on policy priorities and how much they coincide with your ideology. You're not picking VP based on experience, record, whatever it might be, some reasonable criteria. No, they're picking VP based on what the oligarchs say, based on what the corporatists say what the corrupt people who own the government, bribe the officials and own the government, what they say. Well, guess what, guys? They are only going to pick people who serve their agenda. Wall Street is going to pick somebody who's pro-Wall Street. Silicon Valley is going to pick somebody who's pro-Silicon Valley. All the moneyed interests, now other industry leaders, okay, probably some defense contractors on that list, they're going to pick somebody who's pro-war because they want to keep making money. They want there to be more war. This is who Joe Biden is. This is the status quo. That's what this is. We went from 2008, change we can believe in, Obama slogan, to 2020, and I'm not joking about this, there was an article that was just written in The Atlantic, 
called Stay Alive, Joe Biden. Hope and change, change we can believe in to Stay Alive, Joe Biden. We're going to prop your carcass up like the movie Weekend at Bernie's. We're going to roll you out there. We're going to put you in a corner in a rocking chair in the White House, and we'll invite in the same. Goldman Sachs is running Trump's administration. He's got Goldman Sachs people all throughout his administration. We're going to have other Goldman Sachs people run Biden's. Other J.P. Morgan people, other people who crashed the economy and then got bailed out and then paid themselves bonuses and screwed over workers and screwed over the people. These are the same people. We're going to put them back in charge. The people who did the no-strings-attached bailout to Wall Street, they're going to be back in charge. There's other ones doing the same thing right now. So as Noam Chomsky says it, you don't have multiple parties in America. You have two factions of one party, the business party. They all represent big business. See, this is what we mean by corporatism. It's corporate socialism. The rich companies, they get to loot the treasury whenever they want. That's what these bailouts are. What do you want? Oh, you want an endless stream of taxpayer money where you cannot fail no matter what you do, and you'll keep screwing your workers? Fine. You pay me enough in campaign contributions, I'm your man. That's how it's going to go. And then they have the propaganda arm, the media, relentlessly push out these candidates as the serious choices and the electable choices and the real choices. And here we are. If that paragraph or that little excerpt doesn't make you feel ill, I don't know what to tell you. I mean, you do not see eye to eye because... That's as bad as it gets. This is the status quo all over again. This is Hillary Clinton 2.0, except Hillary Clinton with cognitive decline. And guess what? The race is a coin flip. Because when you have a pandemic and a market crash, all bets are off. A ham sandwich could win. Anybody could win in that scenario. So our national nightmare continues, and it won't stop. All right, next. Bernie Sanders went on the floor of the Senate and broke out the flamethrower on Republicans who want to give poor people less money in the stimulus bill. Take a look. And now I find that some of my Republican colleagues are very distressed. They're very upset that somebody who's making 10, 12 bucks an hour might end up with a paycheck for four months more than they received last week. Oh, my God. The universe is collapsing. Imagine that. Somebody's making 12 bucks an hour now like the rest of us faces an unprecedented economic crisis with the 600 bucks on top of their normal, their regular unemployment check might be making a few bucks more for four months. Oh, my words! Will the universe survive? How absurd and wrong is that? What kind of value system is that? Meanwhile, these very same folks had no problem a couple of years ago voting for a trillion dollars in tax breaks for billionaires and large profitable corporations. Not a problem. 
But when it comes to low-income workers in the midst of a terrible crisis, maybe some of them earning or having more money than they previously made, oh, my word, we've got to strip that out. We've got to tell those poor people that no matter what, by the way, when this bill, when the McConnell bill first came up, unbelievably, and I know many Republicans objected to this, they were saying that, well, we want to give a, whatever it was, 1000 or 1200 bucks, but poor people should get less. You see, because poor people are down here, they don't deserve, they don't eat, they don't pay rent, they don't go to the doctor, they're somehow inferior because they're poor, we're going to give them less. Well, that was addressed. Now, everybody is going to get the $1,200. But some of my Republican friends still have not given up on the need to punish the poor and working people. You haven't raised the minimum wage in 10 years. Minimum wage should be at least 15 bucks an hour. You haven't done that. You've cut program after program after program, and now horror of horrors, for four months, workers might be earning a few bucks more than they otherwise would. Well, needless to say, this is an amendment that is coming up. I don't think it's going to go very far. And if it does go far, I will introduce an amendment to deal with the corporate welfare, the $500 billion in corporate welfare, which is, to me, a very serious problem, but I do not think they're going to get the 60 votes, and that will be the end of it. So on that front, Bernie's right, and he ended up winning. So take a look at this tweet. I showed this before, but respectable lawyer says he did it. Bernie just saved millions of people. An unemployment provision added to the Senate bill by Vermont Senator Bernie Sanders would see laid-off workers receive 100% of their salary up to $75,000 a year with tipped and gig economy workers covered. Bernie Sanders is a hero. I'm fucking crying. Thank you, Bernie. New, Senator Bernie Sanders announces he will place a hold over coronavirus bill and demand new restrictions on $500 billion um, fund for corporations unless three Republican senators drop their objections to unemployment insurance expansions. And then you see Bernie flames everyone on the Senate floor just now, breaking the Senate passed, passed it, $2 trillion coronavirus economic stimulus bill, 96 to 0. Now it goes to the House. So the provision that he successfully got in there was unemployment benefits will give you 100% of your salary up to $75,000 a year, including tipped and gig economy workers, and normally they wouldn't be part of that, and normally unemployment wouldn't pay out that much money. So... Without a doubt, the best provision of the bill, um, second best being the cash that gets to people, but it's $1,200, um, and unfortunately, it's, there's still too many loopholes, and you know you have only people who filed the tax return in 2018 or 2019 get it. You only get the payment quickly if the IRS has your direct deposit information. If not, it might take a couple of months before it gets to you. So this is not really getting people the work that they need right, or not the work, excuse me. We don't need any work right now. We need to all stay home. But it's not getting people the money that they need right now. But still, there were some provisions for the people. Obviously, Bernie is um, largely responsible for, uh, you know, getting this in there and making sure it's in there. Now, having said all that, I still wouldn't have voted for this bill. You can't do it. You can't do it. You want to know why? Because it's not even just $500 billion in corporate welfare. Guys, it's $4.5 trillion because it gives the Secretary, the Treasury Secretary, the discretion to spend up to that much. And let me tell you something. He's going to spend up to that much. 
and there are very few strings attached, and the rules are weak, and basically they say it's very similar to the language in the 2008 bailouts in that they're going to put on a show for us. So, you know, if a company, company could fire 10% of their workforce, company can uh, pay out dividends to shareholders, even though they were on the verge of bankruptcy, the executives can swim in the money. And all we're going to do is call them in for a congressional committee hearing and have Elizabeth Warren wag her finger at them and say, you did very bad. You didn't do right. And they're like, oh, yes, you're right. I saw I did very bad. I didn't do right. And then they're going to get away with it. So you can't, I'm sorry, I still, I couldn't have voted for this. You can't do it. Because this is going to go down in the same way that the Wall Street bailout went down. That's how this is going to be looked upon. If I was leading the Democrats, I would have made it the strategy and I would have talked to all my colleagues and tried to get them on the same page and try to pump out the message that we want a clean vote on a bailout of the people. So namely, the unemployment insurance provision that Bernie's talking about and the $1,200 payment we want a clean vote on the bailout of the people. And the Republicans keep trying to jam in a corporate welfare fund, which is $4.5 trillion worth with no strings attached, when these companies are just going to need another bailout in a year or two because business is still grinding to a halt. I would have done everything I could to get just a vote on, the, on that one thing, the bailout of the people. And then if they slap it down, okay. You slapped it down, it's on you. But I'm giving you the answer. I'm giving you the solution. I'm here for the people. I'm not here for a corporate slush fund, which is just basically solidifying our corporatocracy. In the same way we bailed out the corporations in 2008, we're going to do the same thing now. And um, you have an economy that's very clearly the haves and the have-nots. If you're part of the upper echelon, you can't fail. You can't go anywhere. You can't go down. Because if you make money, you privatize the profits. If you lose money, you socialize the losses and the government bails you out with no strings attached and you run out the back door with all the money again as people are barely getting by with crumbs. So Bernie did an amazing thing here, and if it's not for him, you know, the bill would be a hell of a lot worse. But ultimately, this is a, a Wall Street bailout again. And I couldn't have voted for it. I couldn't have voted for it. But unfortunately, the Democratic leadership and the Democratic Party is also a wholly owned subsidiary of corporate America, just like the Republicans are, and that's why we are where we are. All right. Now, Ken Langone... Ken Langone is going to uh, go after Bernie Sanders for us, and uh, he's going to sound like the jackass that he is. For those of you who don't know, he's the CEO of, I believe it's Home Depot, either CEO or founder or both, but he's got a lot of money, and he's about to tell one of the most brazen lies you've ever heard, so prepare yourself for that. Let me cue up the video for everybody. All right, here we go. Billionaire Ken Langone, uh, I believe he's either the CEO or the owner or maybe both of Home Depot, maybe founder. Um, 
he went on CNBC, and this guy hates Bernie Sanders. That's a well-known fact. He chastised Bernie for trying to hold Big Pharma accountable. We've done it before, and we'll do it again. Look at what we did. In 19 treatments was just granted rare disease status by Trump's FDA. Despite the drug being developed with taxpayer support, the designation could limit affordability and block generic competition. So, what that means is a drug which help, might help treat this pandemic. A pharmaceutical company is saying, oh, you're crazy if you think that we're going to waive profits on this and we're going to distribute it. It's like the guy who came up with the polio vaccine. What did he say? He said, like, no, I'm not going to make money off this. I'm not going to patent this. Would you patent the sun? Like, I have the cure for a terrible disease. I don't, I'm going to give it to people because I want people to survive. This is the exact opposite of that. This is, okay, this drug might help with the virus. Let's make sure we get um, a categorization from Trump's FDA that allows us to basically jack up the prices and price gouge. And also, let's block all the generic competition. So in other words... It would be theoretically possible for them to release this drug, which helps fight the virus, and then all other companies and all other governments can basically replicate it by making generic versions of it. And they're like, no, we want to block the all generic competition, so we will be the only one producing it, which would mean they make more money, and there is fewer product out there to help fight this disease. So Ken Langone is a liar, or he's just a rube. But bottom line is, Big Pharma are doing their standard Big Pharma criminal activities even in the midst of a pandemic, even in the midst of a pandemic. Did you know uh, favipiravir, there's another generic name for it that I'm not remembering at the moment, but that drug, Japanese drug, which shows promise in fighting um, this, this virus, um, nobody's, nobody's like putting a rush on it and doing it here in the U.S., None of the pharma companies are doing it. What? What? And that might have something to do with if they have a patent, if they make money from it, we can't, the pharmaceutical companies here can't make money from it. So they're not putting a rush on it. They're not trying to develop it. They're trying to work on their own cures that they could patent here on their own. So this is not, like you see, this is one of those, issues where we need a global coordinated effort, and we don't have that. We have countries pitted against each other and corporations pitted against each other and the profit motive getting in the way, and it's like 
Do you not understand we need all hands on deck to beat this thing? We need to be intelligent. And we're not doing it. So it's absolutely devastating. Big Pharma, they function as criminals. They do. And they act like a mafia. They are that. In the same way that the for-profit health insurance companies are a mafia. And um, I've said it before, I'll say it again. I think that almost everything involving health should be nationalized. Because it's a perverse incentive structure to have the profit motive involved in this. And there's a great example of it right here. So unfortunately, um, even though this is supposed to be one of the most developed countries in the world, in many ways, we're not acting like it. This tweet that you're about to see broke my heart, and um, I'm sure it'll do the same for you, but Assistant Nursing Manager at Mount Sinai West, uh, I don't know how to pronounce that name, Kuse Kelly, in New York City, has died from coronavirus. Nurses are having to wear trash bags as protection because there is not enough protective gear. So the nurse that passed away is um, on on your left there, and then you can see there's a picture from the same hospital of them of many nurses wearing trash bags. Um, they're doing this because we have a shortage of the protective gear. We don't have enough protective gear. We don't have enough masks. We don't have enough ventilators. We don't have enough ICU beds. We don't have enough of the antiviral drugs which help fight it. We don't have any of those things. So we didn't lock down early enough. We didn't quarantine early enough. A lot of states haven't quarantined at all yet. And also our hospitals are going to be overrun. And we're missing a lot of the basic equipment. In what's supposed to be the richest country in the world, they're wearing trash bags in a hospital which is one of the wealthiest hospitals, by the way. This is in Manhattan. If that doesn't tell you how the entire incentive structure of our health system isn't good, I don't know what will. If that doesn't prove that to you, I don't know what will. Aren't you embarrassed by this? I'm embarrassed by this. Aren't you embarrassed by this? I don't think it's that much to ask to lock down the country early on to make sure this doesn't spread. I don't think it's that much to ask to have a stash for pandemics of all the things that we need. I don't think that's that much to ask. I don't think it's that much to ask to make sure we have the protective equipment that we need. I don't think that's that much to ask at all. I think it's very simple. I think it's very straightforward. I think almost every aspect of the health industry should be nationalized because it's not an area where the profit motive makes sense. So we are uniquely unprepared for a pandemic compared to other countries. And we are on the trajectory right now to have the worst outbreak of everybody. You've been hearing how bad it is in Italy. You've been hearing how bad it is in Spain. You've been hearing how bad it is in China. We are on pace to have the worst outbreak in the world. Our trajectory is the worst outbreak in the world. And this is what your system looks like. I have a doctor friend in New York City. He also just tested positive for the disease. You want to know one of the reasons why? Because in China, when they deal with this, 
they're wearing hazmat suits. The doctors and nurses are wearing hazmat suits. Here, they're not even, even the people who have what's supposed to be the proper protective gear, it's not hazmat suits. So the protective gear isn't strong enough. This thing is more contagious than the flu. Way more, about double as contagious as the flu. So you should be dealing with it in the full protective gear. We don't have that here. We don't have it. Man, the system's so broken and we need to make so many changes. And none of them are, not only are none of them being done, but also the president wants to order everything back to normal in two weeks before we even hit the peak of this pandemic, which could kill over a million people. It doesn't get any worse than this. All right, I got to do this. One final story for everybody. One final story for everybody. So this went viral, and I wanted to share it with everybody. It made me laugh. Um, Britney Spears posted something. I guess it was on Instagram, although I'm not sure. But anyway, here's what she said. I, I'm, I know I'm a boomer when it comes to a lot of technological stuff. Britney said the following. During this time of isolation, we need connection now more than ever. Call your loved ones, write virtual love letters. Technologies like virtual communication, streaming, and broadcasting are part of our community collaboration. We will learn to kiss and hold each other through the waves of the web. We will feed each other, redistribute wealth, strike. We will understand our own importance from the places we must stay. Communion moves beyond walls. We can still be together. So, yeah, she posted that on Instagram. Um, the part that everybody's focusing on there is we will feed each other, redistribute wealth, and strike. So in the midst of a pandemic, Britney Spears is like, yeah, how about we redistribute the wealth and, and strike, make sure everybody's eating and taken care of? Okay. <laughs> okay, Britney, we see you. So, um, you know, people are calling, this is like Comrade Britney here. It's, it's good that when you have somebody who's amassed, you know, tremendous wealth. And, by the way, there's a question as to, I think her parents are still in control of her finances because of the mental health situation that she had a while ago, and it's almost like an unfair situation. But either way, somebody who's made that much money is still grounded enough to understand that I'm not going to be an asshole here who thinks that, you know, we already live in a meritocracy and the people who are at the top deserve to be there. And if you're starving, if you're at the bottom, you deserve to be there. It's great that she doesn't believe that. It's great that, you know, she has a much more uh, developed view on the situation. And um, this is certainly, and, and here's why this is cool. This certainly goes above and beyond the standard Hollywood liberalism, which is insufferable in so many ways. The, the standard Hollywood liberals are the type who would, you know, still argue to your face to this day that Joe Biden is a better choice than Bernie Sanders, even though Joe Biden can't put together, you know, a coherent sentence and is a diehard neoliberal corporatist. That's standard Hollywood liberalism. This is not standard Hollywood liberalism, at least based on what she's saying here, redistributing the wealth, striking, making sure everybody's fed. That's a hell of a lot closer to social democracy or democratic socialism. So I don't know how much into politics she is in general, but it'd be interesting to hear her say more and dive more into her ideology, because this is certainly promising, and I think she just made a lot of lefty fans. 
Okay. All right, guys, that'll do it. I love you. Everybody keep social distancing as much as possible, and I'll talk to you soon. Much love. I'm out. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.